You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Basketball Matters podcast number 15. With me are the usual suspects. To my left is the sport doctor, Gregory Yeroshadis. Sup, T-Dot. And to my right is Christian Wolfgang Graffin. Hey. All right, guys, uh, let's get right to it. Uh, a massive, massive day in the world of basketball yesterday. A um, couple huge announcements. Let's start off with the Chris Paul trade. Uh, Chris Paul was flipped, so he elected back into his player option and was subsequently traded from the LA Clippers over to the Houston Rockets for a package of Sam Decker, Lou Williams, uh, Patrick Beverly, and a 2019 top three protected draft pick. Uh, big shakeup in the NBA. Chris Paul joining James Harden in the backcourt of the Houston Rockets. Greg, what are your feelings of this trade? Best backcourt in the NBA, hands down. How do you, the Splash Brothers. How do you think they'll coexist playing with each other? They're basketball players. You know, uh, who was it that said this? Um, P.J. Tucker when he came to the Raptors. All this nonsense about gelling. They're going to gel. They're professional basketball players. And I'm sure that James Harden is going to love having a little time off the ball. Right? I mean, Chris Paul loves to penetrate and kick. James Harden likes to just shoot. The issue is going to be defensively. Mm-hmm. Because... Patrick Beverly was a big part of Houston's defense, and it wasn't even that great to begin with, with James Harden being a big part of it. Um, hopefully, Chris Paul can can challenge Harden to give more defensively, because now he doesn't have that excuse anymore. He actually has to work defensively, because he's not the only one creating offense. So I'm, I'm curious to see James Harden defense next year, actually. Well, Chris Paul's defense is great. Like, yeah. So losing Beverly and getting Chris and getting Chris Paul to but place him is... But he's not the pest that Beverly is. He's not... He doesn't have that energy no more. But he still he gets more steals like he does a lot of things he still is like a little and he's a little bit bulkier as well yeah. so he's stronger he's a he's a very competent defender i think so losing beverly uh for for chris paul's not that bad uh harden's defense like you said uh, we'll, we'll see what happens suspect but the the one thing i kind of question is chris paul said that the reason he didn't want to go to san antonio is because of awesome the fact rivers. that he wants to no he wants to play off the ball oh really more too so that scares me a little bit you heard about the other sort of issue as well <laughs> it's a rumor <laughs> The, the, I think the that, pop journalism side, yeah, I guess, that Austin Rivers wants to be there. Right now. But to me, I think it's interesting that Chris Paul wants to play off the ball and wants to basically yeah. be a little bit more of a, like we're going to see James Harden next year as a point guard. Oh yeah, still. they'll go back and forth. Yeah, that's which, what I mean. They're basketball players. I don't man. know. Make it work. But to me, that's where I don't know if Chris Paul is going to be that strong. I mean, he's not. He's a great. He's a good player, of course. But his his best asset is obviously his ability to pass. So if he's willing already to say he wants to play off the ball, that means he's going to be in more catch and shoot situations mm-hmm. I, I don't know to me it could it could start off the year like that but I can see them having a lot of trouble throughout the year and mixing up the lineup 
pretty much all the way throughout. And we're not even done yet. They could add another star to their team and make it even a little bit more tougher to see what happens. Yeah, no, they they need, I mean, from a team perspective, they're still incomplete. But th- I really believe that backcourt is the best backcourt now in, in the NBA. So if we had to make a decision as to who won this trade, I know it's a very difficult trade to kind of gauge the winner of, but um, you know, you look at one side, Houston Rockets getting an incredible transcendent, you know, uh, once in a generation type sort of talent in Chris Paul, and on the flip side, you know, the LA Clippers, you know, uh, you know, Chris Paul essentially threw them a lifeline by electing yeah. back in the player option and then getting some sort of asset in the trade as well. Do you see the LA Clippers comparatively to the Houston Rockets being the winner of this sort of transaction, or is it kind? of like both teams are the winners. I think that the Clippers uh, got out with something at least, not just losing your franchise player. Look, mm-hmm. if they re-sign Blake Griffin for the $200 million well, that's that what the contract wants, should, maybe a conversation we should be having. What direction do you think the Clippers are going after making this trade? Do you think Blake Griffin will elect back into his player option? Do you think Clippers were off on a max contract or do you see him so, going somewhere else? You know what? It's not even that crazy to envision Steve Ballmer throwing up because he's the richest owner in the league like throwing a bunch of money at, I mean what if the Clippers were to secure a Paul George mm-hmm. with the lineup that, that they currently have that's still a very what good team what about a Kyle Lowry not really yeah I thought about that that actually worries me but why if you're Kyle why do you want to go to the west and compete with those teams man sunny skies and warm weather I'm assuming <laughs> yeah but no championship no respect not exactly. he's getting any up here in Toronto by the way sorry, sorry to interject the coverage of the Toronto Raptors by the American media this offseason has been abhorrent. It is disrespectful, and I'm glad we created this podcast so I have an opportunity to rant to the seven and a half people listening <laughs> to this on SoundCloud. Hey, 30 at one point. You got up to 30? Yeah. Amazing. Well, okay, so my take, so I agree with you on Toronto, but to go off back to to Houston. Sorry, I I digress. Yes, so Houston, or sorry, not Houston, Houston and LA's trade is kind of a win-win situation. Chris Paul doing what, look what the Raptors end up getting for Bosch. Nothing at all. Oh, what about Vince Carter? So, or there's, Reverse. I mean, Negative. There's, there's so many situations <laughs> yeah. where the superstar ends up just leaving the team. And, yeah. It's probably going to happen to the Jazz this offseason with Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. So, just Chris Paul did them a huge favor. They got a lot of young players. I mean, they traded essentially their D League team to the Clippers, and the Clippers are going to be able to build. They only have 81 million on the books next year. And, like you said, they have a decent roster. If they were to bring back Blake Griffin, they can still compete. But to me, I don't know. Like, DeAndre Jordan is only who he is because of Chris Paul. And we'll stick to Blake Griffin, right? They're lob catchers. Exactly. Like, he was the one who ran that team. Patrick Beverly cannot do that. His so, best assets is defense. Graffin, so if I'm uh, Jerry West, and let's say you're Doc Rivers in a situation, and I have a word in your ear, basically, what... What, what, okay, well, sorry, let me let me rephrase. Let's say you're Jerry West and you're talking to Doc Rivers right now. Wait, sorry. who's Jerry West? Uh, Jerry West, a consultant for the LA Clippers. No, which so. one of us is Jerry West? I'm talking Graffin right Graffin's now. Graffin's Jerry West. Graffin, I got you're it. Jerry West. You're talking Excellent. to Doc Rivers. You're talking about <laughs> building a team right now. What do you do in this situation? You got DeAndre Jordan on a massive contract right now that realistically you'll get 50 cents on the dollar based on the contract and his value in the modern game right now. Uh, you got a guy like Blake Griffin who has a very sketchy injury history that might be looking 
looking at a $35 million contract this season. Uh, you've got J.J. Redick most pro- most likely sort of opting out of his contract and signing for another team. Jamal Crawford's yep. also up in the chopping block as well. What do you do in the situation? Are we talking about a full blown blow up? Are we talking about building within, like maybe making Blake Griffin a point forward, fantastic playmaker? Like, what options do you think, or what do you think the Clippers should be doing? In this I season? mean, it's funny you ask me because I like to blow teams up. That's why I'm and asking you. <laughs> and I mean, for me, the main reason on this one is they're in the West, and look what Houston just did. No. They're not competing with no team in the West is competing with Houston, San Antonio, and Golden State next year. But why do you need to blow them up? I mean, remember we were talking no, last week, and you said for the Clippers, maybe the best thing. It's just to be decent for for a bit, um, and I and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't think we have to blow them up. I think you kind of have to just roll with what they have, the players, and just let them play out for free agency. You try to get some pieces that you need to slot into the lineup. I mean, there's there's kind of a hole there. I think at, at small forward. So I mean, they can just put together a team that hopefully comes in. They eight. need a small forward. If they get a small forward. They're right up there with the best teams in, in the league still. I don't know how big you guys are on Sam Decker, but Sam Decker could kind of fill that sort of like Chandler Parsons light sort of Wing. role on the Clippers, right? Chandler, Chandler Parsons is done. I bet that guy's better than Chandler Parsons now. Like, not right yeah, now. They, I'm saying Chandler yeah, Parsons when Chandler yeah, they, Parsons they, could actually they, play some basketball. They got sweet Lou Williams. That guy is a scorer, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They still got uh, Rivers Jr. They got one of the better... Um, <laughs> Rivers sucks. <laughs> they got one of the better uh, front courts in the NBA. If they really wanted to, right, they could bring back Redick and they could still have a uh, have a good team. But I think with uh, with the logo now in charge, they got their sights set on, on a long-term goal. I mean, they have a new arena that they're pr- thinking of, of, of moving into, I think, as well, in like 2020-something. So they've had to take a step back, I think, and, and retool. Houston, though, is ready to win now. I was just watching an interview with Daryl Morey, who I'm not exactly the biggest fan of. I, I love his analytics reputation, but he just signs the biggest free agent that he can. And that's, oh, that's my system. That's my statistical analysis. Anyways. I think he's running on the coattails of the uh, of the James Harden trade and like being that sort of... But even of... that, James Harden is not like, right. you know, See... a very predictable analytic player. But sorry, Houston, I think, has taken a big step. I think one more player and they're a legit contender now. I love them. For me, for the Clippers, I think what they're trying to do is almost what the Lakers are trying to do as well. I think they've alluded to it a few times. They're going to make a run at LeBron James. Is that the Clips? The Clippers, yeah. And if you look at the books right now, they're kind of doing what I was saying last week with the Lakers when they traded D'Angelo Russell to get Mozgov off the books. If you look at right now, at the end of next year, they have $57 million on the books and half of that, like $24 million, right, but if you're, is to DeAndre Jordan. But if you're talking about like a full-blown, like what are you talking about? Like retaining Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and like even like, do you think LeBron James Look at looks at those two guys and thinks to himself like this is a great foundation to build. You know why? Like, no, I'm saying they might. don't have to keep someone like Blake Griffin. They don't have to be that I'm just great next year. I don't think. No, I think Brandon, zero they shot. might. You know why? It would provide him with like he doesn't have to do the the grunt work, that heavy lifting. Right. Right. I think for him, you might actually look at that. And well, something like, we were mentioning earlier, draft and I were talking about before the podcast. You know, you know, potentially Paul George going to the LA Lakers with like an incredible um, you know cast of young talented basketball players like Julius Randle. Alonso Ball. Well, what is a more enticing option? Obviously, you can throw them more money, but Lakers, I guess, in the situation, like, what do you think could probably put together a better contract or a better package possibly. for LeBron James? I right think now, he wants for It's got to be like right. it's all yeah. for LeBron. 
LeBron, he has money. So you think you think uh, you think the, uh, the 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 duo, I guess, of uh, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, and Co. is a better no I don't uh, think situation than no. no. Right. I was just saying they're not the deterrent. the The issue is that Chris Paul isn't there anymore. Right, right. right? He's going to join the Banana Boat Crew. Those mm-hmm. guys have been working on it, right? And that's why you heard these rumors about uh, Melo and Wade potentially joining the Cavs if they got a buyout. And they would join. I don't the think Cavs the Bulls. They're not getting bought out. Yeah, they're not getting bought out. Yeah, they they, 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 they want to play out. together, and they're all free agents next summer, all of them. Right. And they're going to orchestrate something to be to go at the Warriors. LeBron's, you know, they've been planning this. So that's a thing. If if there's a team like LA that's financially able to do it, why could they not be the next Miami Heat? The Lakers, you mean? No, I'm talking about the Clippers. Like, the, why would? But, um, but, but I just don't see a cast of like, right? Paul leaving there. It, to me, I think that closed the on door great terms. on the LeBron sweepstakes. But he wants to play. Like with you said, they're friends. all free agents. They're all free agents. That you doesn't go back to LA. Of course, he could. Nah. Why, why not? I, you, LeBron I went back to Cleveland. To, I, I think it's more likely that 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 they all go to the Lakers than the Clippers at this point. See, that's the thing. To me, I think they're both. It, five, ten years ago, I would have agreed with you because the Lakers were a, or the Clippers were a joke then. Yeah. But the Clippers have sort of built their built sort of a great fan base. They're in, again, it's the same. It's the same fucking arena. So if you're gonna, and again, like you said, Jerry West, uh, Steve Ballmer, they've got money. They've got a lot of things behind. Behind them, um, basically, uh, executively, I guess, yeah. in their in their office, and it's just if they're freeing up the books right now, which is what it looks like they're doing. They have 57 million on the books for the, that free agency year, mm-hmm. the end of next year, when all those guys are free agents. Who's to say they can't be a team like the Miami Heat that just take a run at every single one of them and can f- financially figure a way to yeah, make it happen? But the thing is, the Heat had Pat Riley orchestrating that. Jerry West. I, I don't know though what. LeBron's relationship is the like Clippers got it's him. It's hard to make. It's hard to make that happen. Uh, it's. I mean, this is all speculation, right? But something's gonna go down, right? And this stuff. Like, who would have predicted that Paul, uh, that Paul would have gone to Houston? No one. Like, it just right. Some of these things are kind of unpredictable. But the players have these contacts, right? Well, Apparently, James Harden recruited him. Well, speaking yeah. of unpredictability, well, I guess maybe predictability. Uh, another huge announcement this week. Uh, I guess apparently it was a mutual decision. Uh, but Phil Jackson is stepping down as the president <laughs> of the New York Knicks. Um, master. So before I get into this conversation, I just want to throw a little bit of a timeline of Phil Jackson's tenure on the New York Knicks and what he was able to accomplish on the organization. As so March. So this is Roger Sherman, The Ringer. I want to thank you very much for compiling this information today, but I'm going to read it out loud on the podcast. March 17th, 2014, Knicks hire Phil Jackson as president. Okay, let's continue going down the timeline. March 20th, 2014, Knicks sign Shannon Brown, the Shannon Brown for the LA Lakers. April 16th, 2014, Knicks sign Lamar Odom. April 21st, 2014, Knicks fire Mike Woodson, who went 109-79 and with the Knicks as head coach. Wow. Okay. Uh, June 2nd, 2014, the league fines Phil Jackson for tampering with Derek Fisher. Okay. And then June 10th, 2014, Knicks hired Derek Fisher as head coach. I like that decision back then. June 25th, 2014, Knicks trade Tyson Chandler and Raymond Felton to the Mavericks for Jose Calderon, Samuel Dallenbear, Wayne Ellington, Shane Larkin, and two second round draft picks that turn into nothing. Jose! June 26th, 2014, Knicks draft Clanthy Early and Thansis Antetokounmpo, who are currently doing nothing for the New York Knicks right now. June 27th, 2014, Knicks trade cash to the Pacers for Louis Laberry. Who the fuck is Louis Laberry? July 13th, 2014, 
2013 Knicks re-signed Carmelo Anthony for a five-year, $124 million million contract from no trade clause. July 18, 2014, Knicks signed Jason Smith. August 6, 2014, Knicks trade Wayne Ellington and Jeremy Taylor to the Kings for Quincy, AC, and Travis Outlaw. Okay, Travis Outlaw. October 8, 2014, Knicks signed DJ Mabenga. Okay, Knicks trade Travis Outlaw and a second rounder for Arnis Moultrie on the 27th of October in 2014. Guys, I can keep going down this list continually, Please but stop. I'm going to give it to you guys right now. Greg, I know that you have a big opinion on this right now. I am going to shut my mouth. Hey. Give you the mic right now, brother. Hey, look. As a coach, um, I love Phil Jackson. Uh, I... I think a lot of the shit he's taken is because he's in the New York spotlight and a lot of the decisions that he made at the time, like signing row, like when that New York team was put together, people are like, oh, that's a good, you know, well done, blah, blah, blah. No. Uh, well, at least I thought when they put that team together, that was a decent team. I was, if, I was all right on Rose, but the Noah contract, I kind of... No, I, I actually, you know... Did you know Noah was going to re-injure his shoulder? Yeah, but if like, Noah was semi-healthy... Did you see Noah the last few seasons before he signed the but Knicks? But when you have the money that himself. the Knicks have, you can do that. You, you you can overpay a player that you're paying for character. And no, right? If Noah was healthy and playing still, you're still getting that big locker room presence, hard-working guy, right? The, that, that, that can be that mentor figure to younger players. Anyways, look... In all, you know, due respect to the Zen master, and I really do believe that the guy is a basketball genius in a, in a lot of ways. I think he's no he he's no longer with the the current times, right? Like like you say, what did you call him? A relic? Mm-hmm. You've called him a relic. A relic of the past. But that's not because the game, the style of play of the game, has. Uh, left him mm-hmm. it's because the modern athlete and the power that they have jackson jackson as a persona was constantly combative with like he gets called a racist because he used the word posse to describe lebron james crew okay i use that word all the damn time and i tell you i'm i have very little a very few racist bones in my body okay uh, the the crap he took for his tenure was, I think, a little extreme. But I just don't think he made the right decisions in in, in going out and trying to psychologically battle the players like he did. All right. So, Graf, let me throw this to you right now. Do you think Phil Jackson's tenure as president of the New York Knicks has kind of tarnished his legacy, you know, in the inclusion of winning those championships with the Chicago Bulls, he was playing career, what he did with the Lakers? See, I have a different take on this, I guess, than both of you guys. And for me, it's it's more so uh, his relationship with, with with Dolan and and how that how that all went down. Because James Dolan tried to hire him so many times in the past. He offered him so much money, way too much money. In the end, Phil Jackson won. Uh, I, I, I think most people oh, yeah. in He's the industry... Right now. Yeah, I think most people in the industry would who know sort of, I guess, things in, inside the front offices would say that Phil Jackson came out of this the winner and James Dolan kind of looks goofy. Because the whole time he was doing this, Phil didn't really want the job. Like you said, there's a long list he of things. He made a fool, the biggest fool exactly. in the NBA, basically. And then at the very, very end, he tries to do all these things. He's going to say trade. He's going to buy out Carmelo. He's going to trade Krista. He wanted to be fired. 
I, th- I think that's pretty clear to everyone that he wanted to be fired. And to me, his relationship with James Dolan and this back and forth sort of thing has absolutely nothing to do almost with his career. I think a lot of there's going to be a lot of people who say, oh, great coach, terrible executive. But it's I don't know. For me, this whole even executive role was not even something that he cared too much about in the beginning. So I'm not even going to attribute. I'm not even going to put this towards his career. I'm going to look at him more as a coach than an executive at all. I, no, I think he tried to win, man. I just I don't. don't. I really I, gen- don't, I don't think, think like, he was genuine. But it's it's not easy, even if you are like Jerry West. We'll see how quick he can turn around. I mean, he's just a consultant. Put Jerry West in charge of a team that has a losing record and a superstar. See how many years it takes for him to turn that organization around. I think it was five for Golden State. Well, to be the devil's advocate in this conversation, we can use home. We can use Sam Hankey as a prime example of this of you know building a team and not seeing the outcome of the of the, the compiled team you've assembled over the years. Seventy um, Sixers are in a great situation of the process. You can look at the next. Right now, and I know they don't have a lot of great assets, but you can look at Chris Abbas Porzingis, even drafting Frank Nikitin this year. I know I was kind of harsh on him when we talked about the NBA draft uh, oh, outcome. Good but we, listen, like I don't know how, how good that player is going to be. Like we could be looking down a couple years down the road of the Knicks having an incredible, incredible roster, like a good foundation. I know it's a very, very far fetched idea, but that's not out of the boundaries of discussion, in my opinion. And imagine people would say like, <laughs> "This is these are the guys that Phil Jackson drafted." Right. Right. Look, right. What do we say about? Phil Jackson and and his psychological warfare with Carmelo and all that stuff. See, see the, the guy f- knows he's he watches players. Right. Okay? The guy qualitatively understands the game. So, so based on what you just said, okay. So, do you think him sort of um, throwing Chris Stappis in the sort of train conversation is him um, sort of insinuating that he wants more of the kid when it comes to Yo, emotional? I don't think he was ever really willing to trade that kid. I thought he just did that as a scare to, to let scare him tactic. Know. Yo, right? you don't okay. miss exit interviews like but but that's what i'm saying he clashed not with the style of play in the nba but with the with the era of the celebrity athlete where these guys you know they're superstars they got their own business through their names right like they talk through their agents they skip exit interviews they listen, don't give man, a shit listen, about anything but their brand but there's a level of playing with fire and there's also a level of playing with a nuclear fucking bomb in this situation oh. chris davis porzingis is a unique like very once in a fucking lifetime sort of talent yeah, why do you, you know never- not, you can't, he's not even an all-star. You, you don't. I'm sorry, I, I don't buy it. He's good and he has potential, but you, you didn't, he didn't even do shit this year. Graf, I'm going to let you uh, answer that one for me, buddy. Well, okay, so there's a few things you mentioned. Go to your exit interview. Yeah, there's a few things you mentioned. You said Jerry West didn't turn around Golden State. No, I said that it's difficult for anybody to turn around an organization in a, in a three-year span. Okay, And Jerry West, I don't think, was the single person that did that. And... Can you do it again? And what are the odds of that happening? We'll see. I guess. Right? So just because I, I guess someone we'll doesn't make a championship contender in three years doesn't mean that they're not, or that they couldn't have done it in another organ, uh, situation, or that chance isn't involved. There's so many variables. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But the but, thing is, there's three years of them blowing up, like a strategy of blowing up. Like yeah. they had that strategy, and but they were shit when he got. How there. often do teams stumble upon a player like Chris Abbas Porzingis when you have the like when you're rebuilding, when you have when you're rebuilding as an organization and you luck. Upon the fourth overall 
pick of a guy like Kristaps Porzingis. You're right. He's on an all-star. He's on a proven commodity. But what we've seen, the small sample size out of Kristaps, is that he could be a player you can build around. And when Phil Jackson is alienating a player that you need to fucking have in your your foundation of a rebuild and to be on board 100%. If you listen to him, all he he was asked is he open to trading that person? And he goes, well, you know, I'm listening Mm -hmm. to offers. Like, he didn't say, like, oh, we're coming up, we're trading this person, right? It, it, and honestly, if he could package Noah with Porzingis and get some stuff, well, in, that would have to be the trade in for return. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, any any player is tradable. These guys are commodities. They are commodities. Right? They're, they're not humans. They can be traded. Any there is no player that's safe. I would trade LeBron James for the starting lineup of the Warriors. Wouldn't you? Like, no, 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 right. No, no, like, in the right situation, any player is tradable. I'm just saying, Chris Dapis Porzingis, like, I've never seen a team that's been sort of, like, just callous and careless about I mean, preserving the, the this one fucking kid and making sure he yeah. embraces the philosophy of this organization. It just, I, I, it's crazy. He wasn't going to trade him, man. This was a, a, a sign to, to again, he's, a, uh, he's all about psychology. He was sending a message to him. Don't. Fuck with me. What's your feelings on this graph? You can't do that. You can't do that in the modern NBA. You have to coddle them, right? You have to schmooze them, and then train them behind their backs. I was going to mention this before, but how come we don't hear this from organizations like San Antonio? Then, like, you never hear any of this stuff from organizations that have front offices, and you hear it from players. They get traded to teams like that, and then leave them, and they go. They have a great system. Honestly, they just have a very good system. Teams in the league, yeah, that are run very well. But to me, that's the whole point. Is that it starts from the top down, Greg? Okay. They also had, you know, who they... they a team starts Tim with Duncan. the office. They also happen to have players, right, that that were key in their... Co- like, the coach doesn't win the games. He coaches the players. The players win the games. You can't be a good coach without good players. You can't be... It, it's funny how... Which you get from the executive... Again, it starts from the... This is what I'm saying. It starts from the top down. But so if the culture at the top is in complete disarray, how do you expect the, the players to even perform well? Because Brandon Roy and Greg Oden got these freak injuries? No, they're currently a bad organization because they have absolutely horrendous contracts right no, but, now. But, and the but, GM gives but tons of money to, to nobody. But they had to do that because their draft picks got injured. So when they you, didn't have my, to do that. My point is... When That's you, like saying they had say, to so give Mozgov We drafted... Okay, so, so the, the Raptors, Lakers. we drafted this kid. If he tears his ACL again next year... It's an awful decision. But if he stays healthy, it's an amazing decision. And p- part of that is chance, right? It's how everything kind of falls together is all I'm saying. Right? So it, it's hard to blame Phil Jackson for the woes of the Knicks. You know what I watch the Knicks? You know what I see? Carmelo Anthony not playing fucking defense. Like, how can you win games when your star player doesn't give effort? Uh, you, the thing is, you, you're you acting like, you, like he didn't know the situation he was coming into, Phil Jackson, right? Like, he knew exactly what the team had, but he knew Carmelo's contract would be Untradeable, at least for the for for those yeah. three years, he knew what kind of player he was. He like he knew all this stuff. You know, so it's, it's their roster was good enough to make the playoffs. Again, it was good enough to make the playoffs. At, at, at what point is it not the players? Like at some point, it's the players, right? All right, guys, we uh, we got a very, very big debate to get to as well. I know you guys are in this very hotly contested conversation right now about the uh, the legacy of Phil Jackson. But nonetheless, 
Earlier this week, Monday, the NBA Awards ceremonies were held. Uh, I'm going to do a quick rundown of the actual winners. The NBA Defensive Player of the Year award went to Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors. Um, going down the list, Coach of the Year, Mike D'Antoni wins it over Eric Spolstra, Greg Popovich. Yep. Most Improved Player, Giannis, wins it over Rudy Gobert and Nikolai Jochik. Um, we got a couple more awards. NBA Sixth Man of the Year award goes to Eric Gordon over Andre Iguodala and Lou Williams. Yeah, yeah that makes NBA sense. Rookie of the Year Award, my boy, Malcolm Brogdon, over Joel Embiid, Daryl Sarge. Makes sense to me personally. Yeah. But the most important award of the night and uh, the debate section of the day well, don't forget is debating who should have won the NBA Award. The Executive of the Year Award as well went to Christian Graffin. Hold on. Can I just... Who hosted this night? Drake. Drizzy. <laughs> Representation of Toronto Raptors, I hope. To God. <laughs> Just checking. Just checking. Okay, Just guys. Checking. <laughs> so we got two drastically different perspectives as to who deserves to win the MVP championship this year. On the one corner, we got Christian Wolfgang Graffin going with the loser, the unfortunate loser, James Harden of the Houston Rockets. And on the left side, we have the winner, Mr. Triple Double himself, Russell Westbrook. I'm going to give the floor to Christian Graffin to start because I feel like, well, you know what? I'm not going to give the floor to Christian Graffin. Take I'm going to allow him to make the decision. As to who takes the floor first no, because he's taking the loser. Why they were wrong. You have to justify why they were wrong in choosing. I disagree. Uh, well, I'm hosting no, it. I'm letting him decide. That. That's it. You can pick. So uh, there's a few points for me. I and and so the, the main point for me is essentially he got voted as the MVP because of the, he broke the record for triple doubles. That's, that's the main point. And I really don't think that his team was any better than, than the Rockets were for, for James Harden. And I don't know. Um, if you look at all the stats specifically, uh, it doesn't really help uh, Russell Westbrook's overall picture. The only thing that was the difference maker in this entire MVP vote was rebounds. If you look at rebounds per game, Harden averaged 8.2 and Westbrook averaged 10.7. And that allowed Westbrook to average a triple-double this season. So and that's what not allowed um, Harden to average a triple-double because they had the stats otherwise than that. So if you look at every other player on Oklahoma... All the rebounding stats, except for I think one player, went down. So for me, it's and I think it's very obvious the eye test that Russell Westbrook, especially in rebounds, not assists, not in points, but specifically in rebounds, was getting them over other players in his team. So if you look at every other stat, I want to go through it because basically, other than maybe points, if you look at um, the team itself, because that's a huge factor in all this, Houston did much better than OKC did. But uh, you want to go field goal percentage, he was much better. Um, three points, uh, three point percentage. He was better. A free throw percentage. He was better. Um, like I said, um, offensive rebounding and rebounding in general goes to Westbrook. But assists per game, he had more. Steals how and blocks. Many, they how, were about the how same. How many more assists? How many more? Uh, one point zero point eight assists more. So per game. not even one more. Again, sorry, only, Brandon. I'm in your chair here. The, the only, chair. the only, the only stats that you give Westbrook are the points. And the rebounds. And if you take into consideration the fact that Harden even played, they played the same amount of games, but more minutes, all the stats point to rebounds being the only thing that was the difference maker here. Otherwise, it goes to Houston. If you want to swap teams, Houston goes to the Eastern Conference. They're first over Boston. But if, in the West. If, it doesn't matter. I'm saying if, they go, if you put Russell Westbrook over there, they're fifth behind, just in front of Atlanta, behind Washington, getting bounced in the first round. This is all speculation. So, I know. I'm just saying. So, again, so the MVP the award. the 
statistically, you're saying Harden was better. And value-wise as well. If you were to take both these players off both these teams, I don't know if you can exactly say that either of these teams are making the playoffs, which to me doesn't mean really anything. Okay, so you say statistically that, that Harden was better, and you're, you're also saying that Harden actually means more to the team in terms of wins. If you yeah. take them off, it would be... Okay, so I disagree For with me, the it's all point. about the triple-doubles. I hugely disagree record. with the second point. But, all right, look, when, I'm, when you evaluate MVP, right, there are some things that you have to take into account. First of all, are you the best player on the team? Are you the leader of the team? They both are. Harden, not so much a leader because his effort and his defense is poor. Uh, but Russell he is still Westbrook a is the most selfish player in the league. No, Russell Westbrook wants to win. And on his team, no, Russell Westbrook wants to be the MVP. Just, Michael Jordan was a selfish player too, man. The greats are selfish. Let me throw a question to you guys really quickly. So let's say you took away James Harden from the Houston Rockets. Let's say you took away Russell, Russell Westbrook, Westbrook from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russell, they would be a D-league team without Russell Westbrook. Graffin, you disagree with that? Yeah, no. I again. Houston has good players. OKC doesn't have as good players. To me, both teams just don't See, make the, the playoffs. Look at it the doesn't situation. matter. If you took each player from said organization, I think if we're counting down who is the best player in both teams, I think if we take away both those guys, I think the best player we're talking about is Victor Oladipo. I know he didn't have a great year, but I think no, Victor Oladipo yeah, no. is the best player comparatively to both teams. I think I throw Air Gordon or Ryan Anderson up in the conversation, but I think when it comes to if you are running a team through one player, I think Victor Oladipo he has played a, awful this year. He man. did because he's not a great shooter. He's an too. he's an ISO kind of guy. He needs a ball in his hand to, to be yeah. a good, decent player. That's what I'm trying Look, to get at, though. Uh, what do you think? Harden supporting cast. You're going with Harden that? supporting cast is much better than Westbrook supporting cast. Okay. Now look. So you mentioned the the stats. The most important stat is the triple double. And one of them averaged a triple double, and another one did. Yeah, and, and look at the, the stats of all the of the other players the on this team. Percentages, when you have a team built around one guy and not a lot of other offense, his field goal percentage is going to go down. The rebounding okay. is the most important but stat that you just, just glossed that, over. But that's just oh, what the rebounding? Yes, every other like the re, if Harden it's had the, the same had support, if Harden had the exact same support and demanded the rebounds from the players on his team, Harden, like his rookies, Westbrook he would have averaged a triple. Out and gets them. You actually, you right? actually you do that because the other team will get the rebound. He you, goes and runs and gets it. Harden does not do that. I love how you actually genuinely believe that Westbrook does not get steal rebounds from other players on his team. He averaged 11 rebounds a game. It wasn't it wasn't 10.1. Every other player on the team basically went and regressed in terms of rebounding because he's hitting the glass harder. That's not. <laughs> are they a bad? Are they a bad rebounding team? Have when you? He gets the rebound is better for the team. They can push the they push the pace. Look, so let me finish my point here. The stats are fine, but the stats ultimately, because one has a triple double and one doesn't, the stats go for Westbrook because that is the ultimate statistical achievement in basketball. The the triple double, the eye test. When you watch Russell Westbrook play this year, the man is a force of nature. Yeah, the most selfish one player that, by far. But it doesn't matter. Michael Jordan was selfish. Okay. It, the man was an absolute monster in a, in in a way that the league hasn't seen in decades right what he did was transcendent right and it wasn't just offensively it was defensively it was from a leadership perspective it was from an effort perspective and look the bottom line is this was the storyline like the one thing that harden has over him in my opinion, is that his team was a contender. Uh, eh, not really, but his team was in the top. What are they placed in the conference third? Yep. That matters, I think. Absolutely. Um, 
think the MVP should go to a, you're the best player on one of the best teams. Yep. Usually. But when you have such an anomaly, such a such a rarity, such a treat to watch, right? The, he what he did this year is historic. It's legend. It's the stuff of 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 legends. I don't think that James Harden's half half, uh, half enthused defense, attempting to pickpocket guys from behind, is quite the same as Russell Westbrook ripping a rebound, taking it down court, and slamming it. Right? Like he what he literally carried the team on his back. Harden was in a great system and he played great. And like you could again, I think the main point is that he played on a better team, and that should matter. That was, I think, the best argument for Harden. But the eye test, what, 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 what I've never seen a player so dumb. Westbrook was the best player in the league this year. Like, he was just the best player in the league. Well, Westbrook- and when you play like the best player in the league, look, my, my dad's wife, okay, knows Russell Westbrook. She is a 70 year old, 68 year old Greek woman, speaks hardly a lick of English, but she knows Russell Westbrook. Right, he, the circus was in town. We ended a podcast early to go watch Russell Westbrook rip the heart out of the Toronto Raptors. Like what he did this year, I think from a historic perspective, from a from an entertainment perspective, got him the MVP. I agree from the stats and from a, he wasn't on a better team. Harden was on a, the best player on one of the best teams. From that perspective. He should have got the award. But the best player in the league this year, I'm sorry, LeBron, the best player in the league this year was was Russell. But you mentioned that he was on, a, obviously, a much better team, right? You, you, you agree to that, that, that the Houston's a much the better team. The team around him is much better. If Russell so, Westbrook was on Houston, they would be way better. See, way I, better. I, I see, and that's one where I could not disagree right with you. Oh, you're crazy. Westbrook's no. never going to win. That's the difference between him and MJ. He can't coexist with anyone else. At least MJ might have been selfish, but at least he had the ability to, to coexist with players on his team. Later on in his career, earlier, until Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson's the one that taught him to coexist. It's better for him. Earlier, he was a hog, man. He wouldn't pass the ball. He didn't trust anyone else. When you're a true competitor, you want to win. Like, I need to take the last shot because I don't trust anyone else because I want to win so bad and I know I'm, I'm the best. See, there's like two major factors why I find this argument so complex. The f- one side is for James Harden. So if you look at Steve Nash winning back-to-back MVPs in the NBA, Which I don't how can with. you devalue James Harden? How can you devalue James Harden in the sense that he's doing what Steve Nash did on Phoenix to a more extreme level? No, but did he on have a flip side, on the flip, double On the, the flip side of the conversation, Inflated and I mentioned this to Graffin earlier, and I mentioned this before as well, and I mentioned this on the podcast. If you look back in this season, 15, 20 years down the road, and you look at this one season, this season is defined yeah, by yeah. Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double. Yeah, exactly. If you look back at the awards and you see James Harden winning it over Russell Westbrook, it's sense. such a mental quagmire, you know what I mean? But I can also see why James Harden could win it as well, because if we're stating that Steve Nash was deserving no. of an MVP back-to-back back for league? playing in Mike D'Antoni's Listen, offense as a primary ball Was there a player in the league that had a triple-double that year? No. If there was, Nash wouldn't have won it. it just, that, that's what I'm saying. Harden had an MVP caliber season. It just so happened that it coincided with greatness. Do you think yeah, the triple a, double in this instance though was magnified over just logical on play ball? 
that makes sense. You think the numbers outplayed the actual eye no, test? No, watch him. No, the eye test is his greatest strength over the fact that the numbers are the triple double. Right. Watch, watch the man play. Mm -hmm. He he was the most dominant force in the end. We're talking about a player who uh, who had a triple double in 22 minutes at one point in his career. Let me just sorry. Let me just ask you this. Serious Styles, if, Derek Rose calls him. If or Jalen Rose. If Oklahoma were not to have made the playoffs, they came ninth. Do, is he still your MVP? No. See, so that's so team. interesting. No, to me. they have to be a winning team. I know, but they have, they, you, they were we've fifth mentioned in the West. It, if they were in, you said if they were in the East, they would have probably been like second. They faced they e been first. They faced <laughs> each other in the first round, and, like, and Westbrook outplayed him. They won because he has a better team. Westbrook outplayed him though. Westbrook, but again, like Westbrook's never going to win a championship because Harden of that selfish sort of attitude. Remember, he shat the bat in the playoffs. When Kawhi Leonard was on him. N no, he just shat the bat in game five. And the MVP He had great games in between Kawhi that. But Kawhi Leonard on, on Russell Westbrook, he'll still get a triple-double. He has, he has the competitive fire. Yeah, but his team will lose. No, but because Harden has a better team, that's what I'm saying. I'm his team is much, much better. But that's what I'm saying. Westbrook, Westbrook you willed, can't... That's the leadership. Right? He willed his team to fifth place. That is an accomplishment with that haphazard lineup. Although Brandon's boy, Victor Oladipo, and mustache friggin' Adams there, who I would not trade for. I'm not saying Oladipo's an, like, an amazing basketball player. I'm saying in comparison, if you strip both teams of said superstar, Oladipo would be the alpha dog and the best player between both teams. You think he's better than Ryan Anderson, Gordon? Yes. You think so? I think I think Alpha. I think when you're talking about like a primary ball handler, score someone who's just gonna have the fucking balls to take the ball to the fucking lane and actually facilitate the offense himself. I think Victor Oladipo is probably gonna be the best player between both teams. Personally, all right, guys, we got one more topic to get through today. This is a little bit of cleanup, a little bit of recent news. Gordon Hayward electing out of his player option. Graffin, what do you make out of this? Mm. It's interesting. Um, Wasn't he expected to? Yes, and that's the thing. So I think he. Because of this not making the NBA third team, it really screwed Gordon Hayward in terms of this contract. So now he's in a situation where he can get a max deal, I think, of 180 million as opposed to 200 and something um, with with them, or he can go to. I think he says he's going to meet with Boston and with Miami. To me, opting out of this contract, I hope he stays with with Utah. From a Raptors fan, I really do. But right? I think yes. But I really think this. I like Utah too, honestly. And I, but I really think this trade now with Chris Paul going there is just making the decision a little bit easier for for Gordon that he doesn't want to be in the West. I think it's mm -hmm. more of a being in the West right now versus being in the East and having a chance to actually compete in the finals. And I think that's why he's really starting to think about teams. I don't know why Miami per se, but um, but definitely culture, Boston. man, culture for sure, man. You know, Eric Spoelstra is a fantastic head coach. You got Riley, man, oh, yeah, one of the best executives in the culture. game. So did you hear about the uh, Danny Ainge sort <laughs> of Ainge family quagmire? Yeah. James, I'm sorry, with uh, with Gordon Hayward. Have the you used the word family fiasco? Have you used the word quagmire twice in this podcast? I, I am trying to think of a, uh, a a familial breakdown, let's say, a family-based <laughs> conundrum. There we go. So Danny Ainge's son, who's some sort of bureaucrat in the state of Utah. Um, Danny Ainge's son. Yeah, he okay. put out a tweet today actually asking for Gordon Hayward to re-sign with the Utah Jazz. A little bit of uh, family beef right oh, now with the Ainge yeah. family. But uh, I don't know. He just, uh, I, not to be like one of those weirdos, but like, you know, not to pander to race or anything, but, you know, Gordon Hayward, shaggy haired Gordon Hayward, Boston Celtics Green. I think he uh, goes to Boston like as well. Brad Stevens, his coach, yeah. he's going to, I think he's going to go In there. Shit, I don't fear him going to Boston. If they go
go to Boston, I think the Raptors are still better. Uh, uh, Paul George going there then. If we keep them. Lowry. If we keep Lowry. Yeah, okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one more topic I want to get to before we leave, guys. Sorry, one more topic. Sorry, guys. We are about to finish. Greg, I'm going to throw this to you. Speculation. We're going back to Phil Jackson. Many uh, members of the media have been speculating this that Masai Ujiri may potentially replace Phil Jackson as the president of New York Knicks. Masai Ujiri just re-signing a multi-year contract to go back to the Toronto Raptors. Greg, is there anything behind this? What do you think is the likely outcome of Masai Ujiri joining the New York Knicks in the rebuilding process? Low. Uh, I don't know why you would want to inherit that mess of a situation. I think he's too invested in what's going on here. And this is actually, I'm glad you brought this up. I wanted to talk about this. This is the only coverage that the Raptors have gotten on any mainstream American media, including in the draft. On draft night, we didn't oh, even get a segment. You know what What they put during our segment? I think we had a minute commercial and what else? Talking no, about the first round, sorry, the first, the overall draft pick, Markel Fultz. They interviewed him. They brought him on and they talked to him for two minutes instead of talking about the Raptors draft pick. I'm so sick of this. And to make matters worse, Masai Ujiri doesn't even get a vote for executive of the year. You brought that up in the uh, old uh, Toronto Sports Mattered message board. We got uh, a group chat. Bottom of the barrel, 16th overall. I cannot believe that Masai Ujiri is behind people for who, who GM Portland teams, Trailblazers. Like Portland. They, give, they give Turner and Crab those ridiculous long-term uh, The Bulls, for some reason? Like, like what are they? Which, is, which, to me, are the worst. It's the worst front office in the NBA. This guy treats Terrence Ross, the most inconsistent consistent player in the league and gets Serge Ibaka this year. Everybody and loved the trade DJ Tucker. No, it's still it's still a good trade. I mean, for reasons or whatever, we couldn't even compete with Cleveland. But we're the second best team. We were the second best team in the East this year. Third. Right? No, Boston's not better than us. I don't care what anybody says. Maybe Washington. Maybe. Even Washington, I don't think so. But I, look, the, the point is the disrespect, I'm so sick of it. The disrespect that that the Raptors are getting in the American media by the ESPNs of the world, it's, if anything, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse as this Celtics hype, because now the Celtics are back, right? And that's just the topic. I think the Celtics are so overrated. All right, guys, I got, so overrated. I got a one tidbit of news. Breaking news. Guys. Masai's Breaking not news. going anywhere. I so agree. Host, uh, All hail Masai. All hail Masai. So uh, one little last piece of information that just broke. <laughs> Apparently, the New York Knicks are potentially interviewing Kentucky's very own John Calipari for a head coaching position. You know what? Graphin broke it, but I gotta give it to Greg on this oh one. It's actually, sorry, just to interrupt, it's for the president Oh, president It's position. for the president position. It's, it's to replace Phil Jackson. It's Ooh. not to replace another, the coach. Uh, uh, another big name. Another big name that has and no a, experience. And apparently he position. reached out to them. Interesting. So if you're James Dolan, I, I could see this happening. James Dolan loves these type of people, and he loves bringing them on. But the fact that he reached out to him, I think, might be – I don't know. Kentucky is one of those systems. He's never left. He's – I don't know. Why would you want to go to the Knicks? Like you said earlier, it's a terrible team to inherit, other than Chris Tapps. Brandon could have coached the Kentucky team to the record that they got this year, right? They just have the most money. and That's like, the most racist shit I've heard all day. What, a half Asian can coach a professional basketball team? Are you hearing this shit, Christian? <laughs> racist! <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
And on that note... All right, guys. Uh, with that note of racism, guys, we are finished for today. Thank you very, very much for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand spanking new podcast. But with that, guys, have a fantastic evening. Mr. Christian Graffin. Free agents next week. Woo! And Greg Yerushadis. Peace out, T-Dot. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Have a fantastic evening. Boop, doop, doop, doop. <laughs>